0: Welcome to the Making Jobs Podcast, where we talk about car repair, business ownership, and everything in between. I'm your host, Matt Hernandez, founder and owner of Matt's Mobile Mechanics. And I'm your co-host, Tyler Schultz with the Witness Security. So without further ado, let's get this show on the road. We are back with the Making Jobs Podcast. I know it has been a hot minute since you uh, have heard from us, but uh, we are back. Um, Yep, we sure are. Got Tyler with me
1: today. We lived through our uh, windstorms there on the island.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: We uh, did not get any deer.
0: Listeners, I'm sure by now, at least my listeners, I'm sure by now understand the reference to the island I'd hope so. um but we have mentioned um the island there's a six hundred acre island out on ga lake that we that we hunt and camp on um, and I spend an inordinate amount of time out there like if if I'm going out into the woods into the outdoors, that's usually that's where, where I'm you're going. that's where I'm heading. We went out there for a week. I got to see a total of zero deer um I saw three, <coughs> and yeah, but didn't get to take any of them. Yeah, the first uh, the first night you were there, because I get there a day earlier than you. The first night you were there, we just howling winds, like uh, twenty mile per hour winds. <coughs> it was problematic. <coughs> Excuse me. So we survived that, um, no problem. We ate like kings out there. We sure did. That's what happens whenever, and I don't, like, we don't coordinate what food we're bringing <laughs> ever. So between you, me, and your dad, what ends up happening, and it's happened, you know, twice now, what ends up happening is we have a surplus of steaks.
1: <laughs> well, this time we had a surplus of steak and chorizo.
0: Yeah. We we usually have a surplus of steaks, a surplus of eggs, and mm-hmm. chorizo and then cuz it, it, and i actually ended up with a surplus of asparagus but that was all my fault because i just brought a whole lot of it and uh, didn't end up cooking as much of it as i thought i was going to it was but for primitive camping we were we were eating well out there and
1: potatoes and onions and uh there was a couple nights that our chef didn't cook for us which <laughs> that was a bum
0: deal i was tired I didn't feel like it. Yep. (laughs) But
1: still, of the meals that we did eat, I came, I did come back a little bit lighter uh, than whenever we went out onto the island. Yeah. But at the same time.
0: And you didn't even, you weren't even following your diet on the island either.
1: Not a hundred (laughs) percent, no.
0: No. But it
1: wasn't uh, for lack of uh, eating because we definitely ate. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, so um I was looking at like on average and I don't know about you, but on average um I was hiking at least 3 to 4 miles a day, some days more. Um uh, especially that last day I was out we were out there. I I hiked over 5 miles. <clears throat> how are you able to tell that? Uh the health app on uh on on iPhones. You can check how many um how many miles you've walked. Hm. Yeah. I bet you probably averaged at least two and a half, three miles. Maybe, maybe at least three miles. Because hmm. though I had a further distance to go to my blind, I boated most of the way, most of the time. With the exception of that one day when I could not get the boat back off the beach because of the wind. And that day that we,
1: uh, we ran back, <laughs> that was an intense day. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it was hilarious whenever... Um, you turn around and your son's just ogling this tree like huh that's a tree
0: <coughs> and you're like what are you doing yeah it's raining like, we don't have time to take in nature <laughs> i mean i'm all for i'm all for a stroll through the woods in the rain but not whenever i have most of most of all of my gear on my back in my backpack that i don't want to get wet and and we don't have a ton of changes of clothes and it's and it's the winter time so it's going to get cold the like wet is the enemy like you want to you want to stay dry being dry is your friend out in the wilderness
1: so we we're out <clears throat> there from were we out there from the
0: 17th to the 23rd uh yes probably i think i went out cuz i went out there a day earlier though but but yeah you can you can track kind of the weekly average
1: there we go i was uh three miles a day average
0: yeah yeah i told you and it, it's not like we um it's not like we did like a ton of hiking it was just uh you know anytime we needed to go anywhere it was you know half a mile you know oh yeah it's like hey i gotta run to the blind real quick well that's half a mile one way um. Or hey, we gotta, uh, gotta go go back down to the trucks. To, I'm not uh,
1: looking forward to the day that I have to hike to my blind.
0: <laughs> no. It wasn't that bad, honestly, because I hiked the very, very long way to your blind, and it's not as bad as, as oh, you would think. Hiking with my bow uh, kills my back. See, you have this—you have a sling though that you could use that would make I could, it more but comfortable. It's, it's even, even with the sling,
1: it's kind of, it's awkward. I, I haven't really figured out because of those limbs on the,
0: on the, cross on the crossbow, it can't hang comfortably yeah. on my body. See, so, it's kind of weird. I don't even ever use my sling on my, on my, uh, on my compound bow anymore. I just, I use the wrist sling, which basically I'm just carrying, but my bow weighs less than yours. Um, and it's not, it's not quite as awkward shaped as a crossbow is. <coughs> yeah it's um,
1: it's always been even i tried uh several different ways of hanging it uh, and i just really haven't found a comfortable placement maybe you could
0: bone. uh and i would say you know as far as comfort goes you could probably try and figure out a way to strap it to your back downside is is on that very long walk out there if you uh if i come up with if you one. come a, come across a deer you can't do anything about it that's why i like to have a bow in hand if i'm hiking <clears throat> not that it would have helped me at all um while we were out there because i didn't see a thing it, you only saw them in the, you only saw them in the evening too didn't you
1: they were all at about three thirty, four o'clock yeah all three of them um uh-huh. I don't know where they actually went. no. It was about um, about three forty-five to about four forty-five in that ballpark. the the, fir- <clears throat> the first two that I saw, the uh, doe and the buck, they were uh, somewhat uh, later, and then the uh, the single doe that I saw, she was somewhat earlier. Yeah. It was just after I got back into the blind from those uh, stupid mudding guys. Yeah. Which, if I'd have been... Just get back into the blind, the reason I was coming back out there to sit was to uh, see if anything was going to be hopping in through, hopping and happening through, (laughs) and... I mean, sometimes they hop a little bit. (laughs) She she grew some uh, hopping legs real quick whenever she saw me move, and i wasn't even moving very fast uh i didn't even make a single sound she was making more sound than i was yeah but oh well
0: isn't it always bizarre how silently they walk in like oh yeah how and it's like how are they like i have two legs and i you have you these these they have they must
1: be walking on clouds or something
0: i have no they got dr shoals yeah that's what it (laughs) is It's it always amazes me. It it amazes me how I can be not looking like I can be not looking in a certain direction. I'm just scanning amazed. scanning the area and then I come back to a certain area and boom, there's deer there. Like how, like it like it materialized out of thin air.
1: I'm just amazed that Dr. Scholes has that kind of time that he can go out and outfit each
0: deer. It's it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty amazing, but you know, that's what uh it's that's what he does. He's he's there for He's there for the, (laughs) for the environment, for nature, for the (laughs) environment. Oh, man.
1: They are sneaky. So, so what do we got on the uh, schedule for making jobs?
0: um, Well, so what I, what I wanted to talk about is kind of a combination of, a topic involving starting a business. It's a business tip for starting a business, but then also it's, uh, it's a, it's a topic that also continues throughout as you're running a business. And, um, and that's capital. So anybody capital punishment? Nope. Nope. And not like, uh, not like, uh, you know, Sacramento, the capital of California, not state capitals. Okay. Um, not like, uh, Not like that. No, capital as in financial capital. Okay. So anyone who is looking into starting a business or is running a business, I'm sure they've heard the word capital tossed out there half a dozen times. If you read any business books ever, there's always guidelines and rules on how much capital you should have and when and why. And, and, um... And there's a few, and I think we touched on it a little bit whenever we were talking about starting a business, uh, when we were talking about the topic of starting a business um, a few weeks ago about um, the uh, startup capital. So um, so we'll talk a little bit about startup capital, and uh, and then we can also segue when, into When it you actually. got
1: started uh, with Matt's Mobile, yeah. um, how was – How did you start with the capital? I mean, did you have capital to start or did you?
0: I mean, technically you could call it capital, but it was not the rule of thumb that everyone's supposed to start a business with. So the rule of thumb that people say you start a business, you need to have at least six months of operating capital, um, to start a business because the business won't start at least breaking even until six months after launch is what they say. And that's true for some businesses. And but that's not but just that's business is very unique. Every single business, every single industry, is unique. There's some there's some universal principles that can be applied to most, or even in some cases, all businesses, at least loosely. But there are <coughs> there are there are, the, re, the real the reality is it it needs to be the principles that you apply and how you apply it needs to be tailored to your business. Sure. So in, and it also depends on the policies and how you, how you operate a business and there's tricks to, um, there's tricks to it. So for instance, I didn't start with six months operating capital. I started with like $300 to my name and I had a 88 Dodge Ram pickup truck and a handful of tools didn't even have all you know of the I mean I had all of the basic tools already so granted that helped me out in the startup process it's not like I was starting completely fresh like um if if I didn't own any mechanic tools well I would have needed a few thousand dollars to um to build up at least a basic tool set sure Um <clears throat> however so i but I but I so I already had that just from personal use because I've been working on my own cars for years, and so I've built up a pretty i' had built up a pretty decent um set of tools there were a few sure. things I didn't have like I didn't have a shop press because I never really needed one um for personal use I didn't have an engine hoist i didn't have I uh, certainly didn't have a um gantry crane <clears throat> but,
1: but um, all of these things you've accumulated as you've grown versus um, the idea yes. of, that a lot of people seem to think, um, I've got to go get all of this stuff now before yeah. I can even do my first exactly. job.
0: and And in some cases that is in some businesses, that's kind of true that you have to have all of the equipment from the get go. But in a lot of cases, it's like, this is... For instance, like carpet cleaning. If you do carpet cleaning, you can't be like, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to get a vacuum and I'm going to build my way up, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Yeah. You kind of got to get a, you know, commercial carpet steamer and outfit a van and all this stuff, right? You know? Sure. You, but you don't have to have the equipment to clean carpets and air ducts, you know? Sure. So you can start out carpet cleaning and then get the equipment for air ducts because those are, that's all expensive equipment. Exactly. And in the case of like, for instance, for, you know, your, your industry, you know, just oh, we because had, you install security cameras doesn't mean that you should go out and buy a bucket truck from day one. So that way you can correct. that way you can lift yourself up in the air to install cameras. Although that,
1: that is every time we go by the uh, Collinsville exit, as we're going to, or we're coming back from the Island, um, uh, Keith will look over. Man, I really want one of those bucket trucks. Oh um, yeah,
0: on the over <laughs> at that uh, that uh, dealership, Green Country dealership, Green? Yeah. I think. Yeah,
1: but, yeah. Every time, actually, I don't think it's on. Green Country doesn't have very many of them. It's on the other side of the highway. Um, yeah, the uh, southbound side. There is a uh, deal, small dealership, and they've got four or five <laughs> massive. I mean, big old booms, yeah. just way up in the air. And every time, this past time, we were coming back, and Keith goes, man, I'd like to have one of those. (laughs) And (laughs) I laugh, because (laughs) my thought is, do I want to spend the money on, I mean, a a boom truck? How much could one be? 18 grand?
0: Yeah. 19 grand? Yeah. But the thing is... You can probably even get them a little bit cheaper, but, you know... The cheaper you go with them, the older they are, and the more hours exactly. they have on them. And then
1: so, also, who's going to work on those things? And yeah. uh, maybe uh, my resident mechanic could yeah. take care of it. But yeah,
0: um, I work on a lot of stuff on. I mean, I can do everything on the truck itself, and most things—not all things, but most things—on the on the bucket side right you and know i answer. used to i used to work for a company that inspected those we did like uh we did like dielectric testing to make sure that they're insulated properly for really um yeah for electric companies. that's cool. I did that relatively briefly um after the marine Corps, and then I found out that they weren't uh, they weren't going to pay me what they promised, so I told them that I was going to go not i was going to uh, go my separate ways from them <laughs> in in not as many words so <clears throat> My one of my so that, advices- was,
1: that was the, uh, the G rated version. Of you said,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they, they wasted a lot of my time and energy because they like. Granted, it didn't cost me a ton of money, but they, they flew me out to Michigan. I went um, out to Michigan where they're based out of and went and did their orientation and their initial training, and then I went to apprentice with a um, a guy out in the Northeast, and I worked for them for um, almost four months before I found out that I wasn't going to get paid what the recruiter told me. Um, Because he said that, you know, I was told, and their website says, that um, you start out after training at $50,000 a year, not bad pay. When I had, you know, I mentioned that somewhere in conversation with the guy I was apprenticing under, and he's like, he's like, Matt, I'm not trying to be facetious, he was British, <clears throat> um, he's not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be facetious here, which is kind of one of his uh, phrases, he liked to say that a lot, but I'd like to, I'd like to, to tell you that we, I, I've, I've worked here for, for 12 years, and the most money I've ever made was $50,000 in one year, and that was working weekends, and all of this time. Yeah, I worked weekends and I I did I wouldn't wouldn't go home for six weeks at a time. I was like, oh, okay, maybe this is a mistake. You know, maybe I'm gonna you know I'm getting offered more than you know he's just getting screwed. So I called the guy who recruited me and he's like, no no you can make up to fifty grand a year and I'm like whoa that's different. <laughs> <laughs> that's different than starting at <laughs> There's a... It's can't, a huge difference. Yeah, you can't sneak fine print in there when there's no fine print to read. So anyhow. Um, uh, but yeah, so advice on capital. <clears throat> here's, here's what I say determines your startup capital. You need to say, you need to decide, you know. Now, if you're in the luxurious space, if you have this spot where you're like, you know, I have $10,000 laying around... This business doesn't cost a lot to start up equipment-wise, then yeah, I'm not saying you shouldn't have six months. If you had six months starting capital, there's no, that's not bad um, to True. have. True, but don't don't let that necessarily be a hurdle if you can do it on a different type of budget. So, if you have. So the way to, to kind of determine your capital, <clears throat> you need to you need to run through every scenario in your head, and you need to say, okay, what does the business need, equipment-wise, or or um, uh, what what do we need in equipment, or what do we need in inventory to get running, and come up with creative ways to make that startup capital stretch as far as it possibly can. So, if you're running a services business that requires tools or equipment to run. And you have a limited amount of capital to start with. Ask yourself whenever you're looking at equipment and purchasing tools. Ask yourself: Is this tool necessary to complete the job? And what is the trade-off for cost? Um, how much does it? How much easier does it make the job? And how quickly will it pay for itself? Sure. So, when I was just starting out, didn't have a 20-ton shot press. Okay. <clears throat> uh not necessary to do most like 95 96% of jobs at least on a on a vehicle maybe even 98% of jobs do not require a press however there are a few jobs that happen often enough that require to have a press around um like doing wheel bearings um not on all vehicles, though. A lot of vehicles uh, don't require press press end bearings nowadays, and a lot of them have whole hub assemblies. But so the shop press cost a couple hundred dollars. So how quickly will it pay for itself? <coughs> well, I can either you can either say in in this scenario, I don't do wheel bearings, okay, or you could say yes, I can do wheel bearings, and then you go purchase a shot press. And in this particular case, the tool pays for itself in one job. So since it pays for itself in one job, it's a no brainer. Pick up the tool. Even if you don't use it ever again, it's at least paid for itself. Yes, you didn't make, you know, you only broke even on that job. But if you ever get one more job from it, it's profitable. Um, Air conditioning equipment um, to do, uh, to do AC. I initially said the first summer I was doing it, I was like, now nah, I don't do AC because I didn't have the equipment. So said I don't do AC. <clears throat> and then after about the sixth person that asked me if I did AC, and I started doing the numbers and saying, man, I'm losing money. Sure. Uh, there's there's a ton of this work out. I mean, and, and when the springtime rolls around and that summer heat kicks up in Oklahoma, there is a lot of AC work to be done out there. <clears throat> and I'm sure
1: there's that's probably uh more than probably half of your calls
0: oh yeah and the whenever the first when we get that first heat wave kind of come through where it kicks up to like 90 degrees that's about whenever people like that's it i'm done i've got to have better ac (laughs) coming into the end of the the uh summer yeah
1: they're probably like i'm not really worried about it right now And it's not until they go to flip it back on. And there's just no cold air. Yeah. That that first first 90
0: degree day.
1: (laughs) Because a lot of people don't really spend time during the uh, day in their vehicle because they're working. Mm Because those are the people who have to pay for their car. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Those are the people that when they get in the car uh, on Friday afternoon or Saturday, they flip on that AC and... Yeah. Oh, crap. Uh, And
0: and so i already knew how to because in the in the marine corps my helicopters had air conditioning so i was already epa certified to um to do the work which is the only certification really required to do ac work i already had the skill set my hurdle was equipment the equipment wasn't super expensive, but I was just, you know, uh, actually in my mind it was, I didn't know that I could get it as cheap as I could. And so I just never really, I just said, ah, I don't, I don't do it. But after about six or seven times of, you know, within, within like a month, I was like, it's a lot of money that I'm kind of missing out on. How much is this AC equipment? What do I need to get started? And I, you know, I was like, Oh, look at that. It's not that expensive. It'll pay for itself in a couple of jobs. And worst case scenario, if it at least pays for itself, then now I've got AC equipment to do my, my own AC on my own vehicles. Sure. So, so those are your, you know, whenever it comes to the cost of, you know, whenever it comes to what I call um, secondary equipment or non, you know, non-essentials, you know, how frequently are you going to use it? How quickly is it going to pay for itself? Don't just, because a lot of people make the mistake and this is where, this is where they run out of capital is they make the mistake of going out and buying, every fancy thing that they need that they think they'll need because they're there's you know they either get an investor and have all this money or they've saved up all of this money and they think man i've got all this money you know let's go ahead and get everything everything fancy that we need to make things work and in my case i didn't start out working with a bi-directional diagnostics computer which is a uh, the cheapest one available was like a two thousand dollar unit, which at the time wasn't even the case. They didn't even have the one that I've I've got. It wasn't on the market yet. So the cheapest one available really was a four thousand dollar computer. So, but it wasn't a hundred percent necessary. I was able to make it work with a with a a, a really good you know relatively good OBD two scanner that can read live data. As long as you can read live data, you're a leg up on the diagnostic side. So it wasn't until it wasn't until I was more financially established as a business to where I said, okay, this, the reason I'm going to get this piece of equipment is yes, it'll take a lot longer to pay for itself, but it will cut down on time required and diagnostics. It'll, you know, increase efficiency, which in turn increases money and profit. So, um, so that's, that's kind of, it's not necessarily di- directly capital related whenever it comes to equipment purchase, uh, mm-hmm. that, that line of advice, but it is, it does involve your, your startup capital because you, whenever you're first determining what you need to purchase for the business and what money you do need to spend, it can make a huge difference on how far that capital will stretch to keep you going because there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that you can factor in and cost. You can factor in operating expenses and operating costs, but there's a lot of things that are variables that you will never see coming that you cannot factor in. <clears throat> and there are costs that will come up. It will happen to every single body, everybody. There will always be, there will always be some sort of, um, some sort of expense that comes up out of nowhere. And if you went and blew all your money on a, uh, on a, you know, a fancy diagnostics computer that you didn't really need to get by to get things, the ball rolling, then it can really, it could tank your business if sure. you got something come up, um, that you weren't expecting. So it, it, like, there's, a... cause you never know. You could, uh, you could be, uh, You could get, uh, you could have the ball rolling, you know, you're, you're working, you're doing good. You're three months in your business is starting to break even and, you know, or, or even maybe even being profitable. And then someone sues you, um, you could get sued or at least the threat of a lawsuit. And here's the thing about that. Even if you're doing everything right and they have no grounds and they're not going to win anything, it's still going to cost you time and money. Um, to make that go away. Like um, in the case of, you know, you're going to have to pay lawyers and you're going to, um, and it's going to cost you time because even if they have no grounds to really get any money out of you, it's still going to take some money out of you in some time. And uh, also just a side tip of information. Um, Don't, you don't, don't be surprised if you're going like, there's no matter. You could run the best business in the whole wide world, offer the best service and have the best customer service and be the most honest person in the whole wide world and do everything right. 100% of the time, someone is going to sue you or attempt to sue you or threaten a lawsuit. It uh, will happen. I've it's, had,
1: you know, with witness, I think we've had it like three or four times Yeah, uh, where someone's going to say, um, uh, and one of them was, uh, a, I have a Hispanic fellow that works for me. Yeah. And um, he shows up to the service call. Yeah. And um, the lady that owned the business, she uh, basically... Um, so she saw him get out of the truck and she goes... Um, what, what did she... She goes, oh, he can't come in to the business and... Um, uh, I'm like, well, well kind of, I'm, I'm thinking, well, why not? And she says, uh, I just don't know him. Huh. I'm sitting there
0: thinking. She didn't really know you either.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> but
0: thinking, you're white. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is <laughs> about the whole thing is she's Indian. Yeah. And she was darker than he is. But, uh, at the same time, yeah. she's like. He can't come in. And I said, "Um, if he doesn't go in, I'm not coming in. Now, the stupid thing is, we were in Okamogie, so we were way out there. And I told her, now, whether we come in or not, you're still getting charged for this service call. Because I've been sitting here for close to an hour and a half, Mm -hmm. waiting on you to get here. And then, uh, ended up... uh, she she disputed the charge, but at the same time, she uh, said, oh, "I'm going to call uh, Better Chan- Business Bureau, Channel two, Channel World Six News, or yeah. whatever, and I'm going to let them know that uh, Witness Security is just a uh, a ruthless company and they uh, have no scruples." Yeah. And
0: uh, didn't she then send a, send a letter and uh, threaten a lawsuit? Oh and yeah, she, did. she
1: emailed. And, uh, she said. Uh, any more correspondence is going to have to be between our lawyers, and we're like, "All right, sure." So we uh, went ahead and sent that over to our side to uh, Legal Shield at the time. Yeah, and uh, we we're like, "Just go ahead and be expecting this." Yeah, and nothing ever came of it.
0: This uh, is, uh, it, well, and I'll say this:
1: it's a, it's most a boring... times though, most times when someone threatens, all, that's all it is: is a threat. Yeah. Um, they want to see if you're paying attention. If you're gonna, if they if you're, well, your boots. Yeah,
0: they just want to see if they can uh, get something out of you without actually going to court and have you, you know, basically settle out of court. It's a boring year in business if uh, if you're not getting a letter from someone's lawyer somewhere. <laughs> I'm telling you, because no matter what you have do, you
1: actually, it, gotten any uh, letters from lawyers yet? Oh yeah.
0: Oh yes, I have gotten. Um, I've gotten three different. I'm getting three different threats of lawsuits. And the funny thing is, is it's it's always every single time it's been a particular it's been in a case where there was absolutely no way that we were in the wrong. And there the first one's always a doozy. When you get that first letter That scares the crap out and that of me. Has That has that letterhead on it from a law firm. And they, and it's basically a threat. You know, it, it says that they're going to sue you for X amount of dollars and, um, and they'll make, they'll let this go away. If you just settle for the low, low price of, you know, whatever it may be, 16,000 bucks or whatever, <laughs> 20, I think in this case, it was like $20,000. The first one that I got, I was like, wait, I was like, oh no, like they're like, it looks like you're being sued, but it turns out you look at it and you're like, wait a second, this is a threat of a lawsuit. It's not really a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And, and it's always, because it's, you could be the most honest person, you could deliver the best services, you could be in no way wrong, uh, but there's always going to be somebody out there. If you do enough business and you work with enough people, enough customers, eventually you're going to run across that customer that is going to be um, trigger happy with lawyers. And they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna try and shake you down. Um, it will happen, so you that may that may happen and and if you don't have you know if you if you need to consult a lawyer lawyers aren 't cheap um so if you went out and spent all your capital money on things that weren't necessary to run your business day to day, then you could uh then you could be in a tight spot and uh and that could really that could really hurt you. And there are some cases where, you know, something may happen, especially if you're in the services industries of some kind. You're going to have to pay for mistakes. You're going to have to fix problems. You're going to have to eat cost of jobs in certain cases because something may happen, um, whether it be by you or by an employee. There is, and a lot of the times, by the way, uh, returning back to those lawsuits, a lot of the times what what the mindset behind it is, they will they will sue you or they will threaten you with a lawsuit thinking that you'll just, you know, file a liability claim and let insurance take care of it. They're not really trying to get you to shell out the money. They just know that well this guy has insurance, so he's just going to file a claim and send it out, but you know, liability claims cost money too. You still have deductibles on those on those insurance claims. <clears throat> so um so be smart with your startup capital and here and here's a good way to here's a good way to calculate what you need to start up um figure in try and figure into the best of your ability what your operating cost is the trick the tricky thing about about figuring out your operating cost without having started a business is you're working with guesses you don't know exactly how much it's going to cost because as as things progress you're going to have to adjust that number because you may, and, and it's always great to overestimate. Um, but even at that sometimes overestimating doesn't, doesn't cut the, cut it. Um, but here's another trick though, <clears throat> in order to uh, skirt the general rule of saying you have to have six months operating capital is create a business model that does not require a ton of uh, a ton of upfront money. Um, c- you know, if you can, um, you know, have, you want some amount of money to start up with, to have spare money. That would be nice, but not everyone has that luxury. Yeah. And, um, and if that is the case, you can just say, for instance, you know, in my case, you know, as a mechanic shop, uh, jobs, uh, parts cost money. So, if I, you know, when I started up, had like three hundred dollars to my name, um, if I encountered a job where, and it's easy for parts to cost more than a couple hundred dollars on just a small job on a vehicle, <clears throat> so the policy was, you know, uh, you know, I'm not gonna, you, the customer has to pay for the parts first, and then I purchase them. Sure. And, uh, that actually kind of ended up developing, you know, into a real policy that I still actively use today that if it exceeds $150, then I require the customers to prepay for the parts. And that helps, that protects me on a couple of ways because one, um, if, if the customer, if I have difficulty getting payment from the customer, at least I'm not out the money for $600 worth of parts. Um, sure. <clears throat> uh, you know, so and you know six hundred dollars doesn't seem like a uh well it's, I mean it's a decent amount of money, but it doesn't seem like a ton when you're talking about a larger business but then you know if it happens enough times you know you just have you know five or six customers that um that you're having that you've got money in parts into their vehicle that can that can add up to a pretty big number so um so with your with your startup capital if you're if you're innovative enough or clever enough with your with your policies in the um, <clears throat> in the start of your business you may not necessarily need exactly you know 6 months of operating capital and you you know you're looking at it you're doing the numbers and you're like well 6 months of operating for this business is going to cost $20,000 so i got to have $20,000 to start you may not and also Here's a, here's another good thing about or a smart idea with startup capital. You may only need 1 month of startup capital because if you and and here's a way to test it because you'll never really know the operating cost of the business till you start operating. That's true. And 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 there may be things that you overlooked. You may you may start up the business and then you realize, "Oh, you know what I forgot about and I didn't consider. I need some way to sign documents via email or this that and the other." Well, that service costs money, so that's an additional monthly cost that you didn't initially factor in. So, goes back to the point where we talked about a few weeks ago: do a soft launch. You do a soft launch, and you know, uh, plan for spending a few weeks to a month trying to run this business. And and if it if it looks like you need more money to continue operating it, you know, shut it down, save up money, come back later. Mm-hmm. Um, if it looks like, oh, look at this, I'm already profitable and you still have some leftover capital, we'll keep, keep pushing on forward and just, you know, go bigger with it. Um, yeah. And every, every single business is different. It's unique. My operating costs are different than your operating costs. The things that I have to spend money on are different things that, that, that you know, there's a few things that we are, that we both are going to have to spend money on, like, um, you know, uh, phone lines for the business, um, secretaries. secretaries, um, uh, liability insurance. We, we, we share similar, similar things that we have to spend money lately,
1: on. Lately, you've gone to an idea of, um, basically your techs are going to be more kind of a 1099, all right?
0: Well, most of my techs have always been 1099, but mine's it's, but it's, they've been subcontractors, like, sub, but yeah. They've technically, but they've been exclusively, they had been exclusively working for me. And, and now, now they're going to be kind of
1: more Yeah. Uh, um, subcontractor
0: only. Yeah. So if, uh, if I, so it, it does, it doesn't shift liability a hundred percent off of me, but the subcontractors that I'm going to be using are required to carry liability insurance. So that way I'm not, if they really mess something up, I'm not, I'm not having to I'm not it's not it's not hundred percent on me and my insurance. They've got insurance to cover those things. <clears throat> um however it is my name on the line. So I still have to be real careful with the subcontractors that I sure. use. Um and and it also it cuts down on it cuts down on payroll expense. Man, I tell you what, having a W two employee was just a um it was a pain. <laughs>
1: And in our industry, we're not allowed to have ten ninety nine, uh, because uh, I guess from what I understand is too many. Um,
0: well, you could if you were subbing out to another. Like you couldn't have an install tech that's ten ninety nine. But if you subbed a install job out to a company that has a manager's license and all right. that stuff then you could 1099 it's a subcontract at that point right but we the, can't do the, it to yeah the just requirements to be tax. a subcontractor in your industry are far more tricky but your industry is extremely regulated like it's up to the eyeballs with red tape uh, mine is not and and the definitions of a subcontractor or a 1099 contractor in my in my world are a little bit more lenient to a degree. Like there's obviously rules that I have to follow. Like I can't uh, you know, I can't tell them that they cannot work for other people cuz as a 1099 contractor, you have the freedom to um, to work um your you know on other jobs. You don't have to you're not required to work exclusively for my company. Don't have uh, to wear
1: your, your uniforms. Don't
0: can't you know, I can't, can't make them actually, wear uniforms. Can you ask them to wear your uniform? I can. In fact, this is what I what I've done is instead of asking them to wear my uniform, um, I you can require dress codes to a degree. Like you can't, but you can't. The dress code cannot include your business logo on a um, on the uniform. Um, but what I can do is say, hey, I want you to wear you know polos to every job. But here's what I'll do. I will for free provide you a polo with my logo on it. You can wear your own polo. But here's the deal: as a mechanic, you're gonna get dirty, right? Are you gonna want to spend your own money on polos that are gonna get dirty? Yeah, I
1: wouldn't. <coughs> well, uh, what you could do though, uh, and this would, um, if if it were me, I, I can't stand uh, wearing polos. Yeah. So, you're, if you're gonna uh, 10.99 for me, I'd prefer you to wear polos. Or here's one of my t-shirts. Uh, yeah. That.
0: Well, that's just so
1: happens to have my logo. Yeah, on.
0: just so happens to have the logo on it. Yeah, you know, it's just what I've I've got. So you can. I mean, it's kind of, sort of. It's not. You're not really making anybody wear a uniform, but you're right. just making it easier for them to choose to wear. A uniform sure um so I can't you know there there's other you know again the uh exclusively working for me that can't I can't say well, you can't go take another job on the side, but it can affect your it it can also affect your contract with me if you are making your you're limiting your availability with me sure so <clears throat> um so there's, it's a little bit easier to a degree because you can't – the reason why you can't subcontract, you can't count your install techs as subcontractors is because they can't legally be – like they they have to be they would have, have to have a manager's license. license yeah they'd have to have a company license in order to be a contractor in your industry mm-hmm. in my case there's no requirement for a mechanic to have a license to be a you know contractor in my industry so um yeah and and I've I've had a W2 employee. Well, the, the tricky and annoying thing about W2 is that there's like you know I want to say it's four different basically four different um you know pieces of tax that tax uh forms that I'm you know or tax payments that I'm sending out to various um various agencies which actually reminds me I need to um need to deal with the uh, uh Oklahoma unemployment uh whatever tax agency runs that, I think it's the Oklahoma Securities Commission or something like that. I need to let them know I don't have a W-2 employee anymore. Um, Good reminder. (laughs) Um, So, uh, because otherwise I'd I'd have to file a quarter, a quarter four with them. And the reality is, is that I've, um, it it would just, it would just show, you know, no, uh, no payments made. So here's, um, So here's, I guess, seguing into um, beyond your startup capital. Let's uh, let's let's talk about maintaining capital. Like you need you need to be smart with your business finances in in a couple of regards. One, you need good budgeting, and one of the easiest ways to budget is to have separate accounts for your monies. <clears throat> Don't just keep everything in one pile, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, bank accounts are free most any time nowadays. So who's to say you can't have seven different bank accounts for seven different budgets? You know, in fact, I do. <laughs> I have, I have a um, operating account, and that's where we have our you know basically, <clears throat> basically our general. It's our general fund. Um, I have a capital account, I have a parts pending, a parts account, a payroll account, a payroll taxes account, um, and then my personal account. So I have like six or seven different accounts, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason why I have them all separate is because it is far easier to budget than if I had all my money in one account in one pile and be like, oh look, I've got all this money, and then you forget. Oh crap, payroll taxes are due. I gotta, I gotta put, you know, I gotta send out the payroll taxes. Oh crap, I forgot. Uh, we've got payroll this week, and you know, I've got to, have got to, you know, shell out a couple thousand dollars in in payroll. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, there is uh, parts that were paid for by the customers, but we have not. Yet ordered so, um, so there's you still know. Still got to pay for those. Yes, yeah, still going to pay for those so that so I have different different budgets, different funds for different reason, and it's going to vary by business. Um, so if you run like a retail establishment, it would be smart to have an operating fund, just a general fund that, you know, if you got to uh, run out and, uh, you know, buy some, you know, buy some extra paper bags or something like that, or, you know, just, you know, basically a little discretionary fund that you can do your day-to-day expenses with, you would, it'd be smart to have an inventory fund, you know, what we've got, uh, you know, so any anytime that you know, let's say I sell soaps. I have, I'm an artisan soap seller. I think I've been an artisan soap seller in the past on this podcast, but let's say, <clears throat> which I don't know why I keep bringing that up. I have no desire to start <laughs> an artisan soap company, <laughs> but let's say I do that. One bar soap costs me, um, costs me <clears throat> a dollar to, to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, between making it and the packaging that it goes on it, and you know all that, it's a dollar.
1: This packaging are we? Uh, we going out and making a really fancy packaging, or we just? It's like a cardboard
0: a, package, and it's uh, nice got rope. my logo printed okay. on it, and a nice little tw- um, uh, uh, like a twine, twine, yeah, like, like the rope twine. It's important. I mean, yeah, you, yeah, you can
1: go all out with packaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's Matter just fact, like a witness. <coughs> we uh, we're looking at doing a uh, DIY um we're looking at doing a diy system and we still are but it's a little further out than we thought it was yeah and anyways um we uh we were looking at this and getting the packaging uh, and everything made and everything and come to find out the packaging um, after it was all said and done for this whole system was going to be in the ballpark of about 10 grand uh for them to press the cardboard in the specific cuz how how many packages it was going to be a 1000 was the first order so and, it came out to
0: be 10 bucks per yeah yeah but was a 1000 their minimum yeah. order yeah
1: and you now these packages whenever I was uh, talking with them I told them I only want uh when it comes to the packaging, I want it to be um, Apple product quality. You know how Apple's product, whenever they produce oh, yeah. a new package of any kind, man, that thing looks sweet. They got, they got to nice the, boxes. To the when point you, when, you, when
0: you... When you open it up, even. You know, oh, all, yeah. the, all the little different compartments that they have set up, it's, it's oh, real man. slick.
1: And you look at it and go, that packaging is almost to the point of... Do I really want to throw that away? Yeah, I think I still have all my Apple boxes. (laughs) Exactly. That's the thing. Whenever Keith and I are looking at this, we're going, we want this thing to be so, the packaging alone, we want it to be so awesome that people will look at it and go, wow, I want, they took time on this. Yeah. Yeah. I want to keep the box
0: well, presentation is a lot, especially in retail, especially oh, yeah. if you're selling anything equipment wise or, you know, uh, some sort of product of some kind you're, you're in your, you Business is relatively, it's kind of a hybrid because it's a service slash almost retail because, you know, you're providing a service and a product mm-hmm. as well because, you know, you're, you're, you're a security systems dealer, but you're also providing a service. I mean, the bulk of your day-to-day business is service and it's installing, but you're also selling equipment. And especially if you go, you know, on this DIY side of things, like you're at that point, it's strictly retail. Your product and presentation is, is a lot, especially for, you know, online customers. When someone orders something online. they don't want it to come. You don't, you don't want it to show up in a shoebox. Oh, exactly. You know? <clears throat> um, so this Artisan Soap Company that I've created in my head with the uh, nice little cardboard wrap. And my logo is gold embossed, by the way. Well, yeah, um, it's got to be. Yeah, that way it's kind of shiny. And I was kind of thinking of going on like a rustic kind of look. <laughs> but I decided, you know what, I... One of these days, this artisan soap company, instead, the the soap is going to come in handcrafted, uh, hand carved wood boxes. But that's that's another time. Um, <laughs> we got to work up to that. So it's cardboard for now, um, <clears throat> and you know, it's probably a little bit better for the environment for it to be cardboard versus the carved wood. Oh carved yeah, box. you'd be
1: cutting down trees like crazy.
0: Yeah. So man, um, it's a little bit more eco friendly, and that's what people like these days. It'd be green. So I've got twine that I use, but I just—it's usually—it's basically the same type of twine that you use to tie like turkey legs together when it goes in the roaster. It's roasting twine, so it's relatively inexpensive. So this bar of soap cost me a dollar to produce, and I sell it for five dollars. So when I sell a bar of soap, instead of all five of that those dollars going right into just one fund in the operating fund. I take $1 for every sale of every bar of soap and I put it into an inventory fund. Um and it that way it can go back into producing another bar of soap. So $4 is the gross profit, okay? But for every bar of soap it also costs me a dollar to in labor to produce because, you know, I pay someone <clears throat> I pay someone uh, Let's say I pay them twenty dollars an hour, and they can produce yeah. they can produce twenty bars of soap in, in an hour, and they, that's what. So they get their for every bar of soap they're producing it it costs like me one dollar. No, no. Remember, these are handcrafted artisan soap <laughs> bars. Okay, they take a little bit of time and care in order to put together, right? Because you get the cardboard, you get a wrap it, you still have to tie the twine by hand. Um, and make sure the presentation's real nice. So there, there, he's he's a pretty productive guy. I, <laughs> I like him. Um, Alfonso has been working great for me. <clears throat> he has been. We call him the Fonz, um, but you know he he's he's pretty cool about it. So it costs a dollar. So of that, you know, five dollars I've made, I've taken one. I put it into inventory fund. I take another one, and I put it into payroll. Every bar of soap that gets uh, produced. Um, now, mind you, here's the deal: is Regardless, if I sell that bar of soap, I still have payroll to pay. So I'm not putting a dollar in every time I sell. You know, every, if if uh, if you know if he makes 20 bars of soap, then I'm taking $20. Or if he make if he's you know for every hour that he's working, I'm putting that money into a payroll fund. <coughs> um. So we've got we've got inventory, we've got payroll, we've got uh, so now we're left with a um. Uh, not quite a net, but an adjusted gross profit of three dollars for that bar of soap. So now that three dollars can be can can possibly remain into the general fund until we later on work out um, some form of a a budget so it 's smart to have your separate funds to budget things appropriately. And we're going to take a quick break. And after said break, um, we will come back and we'll talk, um, we'll talk about, uh, growing and maintaining a capital fund because it's, uh, it's probably one of your most important funds to have in a business and it can make or break you. So, uh, we'll take a quick break and have a word from our sponsor. Okay. And we're back. So capital, um, maintaining your capital here is a fun fact and something, yeah, something I want, um, every entrepreneur to know is that there is a good chance and a high likelihood that when you start out, unless you just have an endless source of initial startup capital, there's a good chance that that money is going to run out relatively fast, and oh, yeah. <clears throat> and you will drain that capital fund when you first begin, even if you're profitable pretty quickly right off the get go. There's always going to because when you first start, there's going to be you're going to have to buy you know as especially if you're being if you're successful and you're growing. You're going to have to buy more equipment or you're going to have to hire more employees or you're going to have to do more advertising or something along those lines, right? Um, Which side note on advertising, when you start out, don't go, don't, don't go buying space on 15 different billboards around town for marketing. I think we touched on that with starting a business, but that's a good way to drain your capital in your marketing fund. You know what you've got budgeted for marketing fast, it's wise when you first start out and I know you're like, I want to shout it from the rooftops and let everybody know it's wise to work on being very frugal with a marketing fund because that's one of the things that can drain your capital fast.
1: Yeah. I've seen, uh, especially, so we got these, um, dispensaries that are exploding here in mm-hmm. Oklahoma. Yeah. And, um, there's a bunch of them that they're, they're just going gangbusters. Um, oh, yeah, and there's gonna be some of them that actually will because they they had started before everybody else, and they probably have somebody from another area in the country that has <coughs> a few dispensaries all over maybe Colorado california yeah. some somewhere somewhere in the fourteen states that it's legal or something uh, like that yeah, so there's they they've got dispensaries somewhere else. And so they've already got a working capital that is bringing money in for them to invest here in the Oklahoma mm-hmm. market. Um, and I've seen where they just explode with billboards. Yeah. One of which is treehouse mm dispensary. <clears throat>
0: mm-hmm.
1: And that guy, uh, he also owns, um, uh, firehouse. Yeah. Uh, disp- dispensary. And, uh, so he's, he's gone gangbusters with the billboards and it's probably helped him yeah but he actually had capital to do that yeah and, 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 and the
0: crazy thing is he's held all of the billboards for a while and let's say this you know say you're a say you're a new dispensary starting out and you don't have that backup of owning you several can't different compete. stores you can compete with. Well, I mean, you, you can compete, compete with, with a dispensary, the dispensary, but you can't compete on the billboard side of things. No. Just because other businesses are doing it doesn't mean that you know you got to look at. Like here's the deal: Walmart has a much larger marketing fund than I do, and if I were, you know, if if I were trying to compete with Walmart marketing, I would lose every day. Oh yeah. So you got to pick your battles, and one of those battles is. In, especially in the marketing world, is if you don't have a limitless fund for marketing, then you got to be you you got to market in a more cost-effective way. And like I had mentioned in the past, word of mouth referrals is one of your best bang for your buck because all it costs you, the only thing it costs you, is to do a good job and treat your customers right and offer them a good quality service and/or product at a good price, mm-hmm. and that will help your product or service sell itself. That's where that's where you should focus a lot of efforts in is to making your customers your market your marketers. That's where sure. you really want to put a lot of effort into and attention into. And then there are forms of you know paid advertising that you can explore that don't cost a lot of money, like Facebook marketing, social media marketing in general, and building a good online presence. Those are those are worth spending money on when you first start out. But if you don't have a giant operating capital fund or a giant startup fund, it's not wise to go out and put 17 billboards all around town and drop thousands of dollars (coughs) in the first three months of business um, because you're going to need that money elsewhere. So you know, pro tip: your money is going to run out or it's going to drain fast. That that if you start out with ten thousand dollars three months later, don't be surprised if you're looking at a, <laughs> if you're looking at account that only shows $3,000 in it. Well, I mean,
1: like, uh, the dispensaries and the grow ops uh, in the o- Oklahoma market, I was talking to, um, a, uh, grow-house, and he goes, if you got 150 grand that you're gonna, uh, invest into a, uh, into a grow-up, he goes, and that's... That's all of your money. Don't start to grow up. <laughs> yeah. I was like, 150 grand's a lot of money. And so he and he goes, "Don't start to grow up if you only have 150 grand, because it's going to take a lot more than the 150 grand yeah. to get going." Well, you got to banks. Banks don't
0: loan yeah. dispensaries and grow no. houses. Well, and here's another here's another um, kind of fun fact is that it's not like. Like, you know, you know, you kind of think to yourself, it's not, you know, I got good credit or I've got a great business model. I'll just go down to a bank and I'll get a um, a business startup loan. Getting a startup oh, yeah, loan. We're talking about this <coughs> the other day. Yeah, getting a startup loan is not easy uh, because, and so th- I encountered this with a, a previous business of mine I had, um, I had just started. It was initially a remodeling company and then it kind of morphed into, um, kind of morphed into... uh, Flipping mobile homes, Mm -hmm. Um, and then we came and only been operating this business for probably three or four months or so, Mm -hmm. and I and it was self funded. It was a self funded startup, but then um, we ran across a mobile home park for sale, and we're like, you know what, we'll we're flipping mobile homes. Let's flip this mobile home park, and that's what. uh, But you know, it, it was for a good deal for the low low price of uh, $750,000. And, um, which, which really wasn't a bad price. I was going to
1: say that sounds like a steal of a deal. Yeah. It
0: had, it was a little run down, um, and we had big plans for it. So in order to accomplish what we needed to accomplish, we were thinking we were probably going to need somewhere around like $1.2 million. And, and I was like, well, let's see, um, Let's see if we can at least get the 750000 to purchase this. So went down, talked to a loan officer just to get an idea of what was needed for a business startup loan. She's like, well, we need to show, you, you need to show, um, uh, you need to show profits. Um, you, you need to show operating um, costs, or, or not operating, but you need to show that your business is profitable, you, right. you need to show that you've been making money. We need, we need bank statements for, you know, going back a year. And I'm like, whoa, whoa what? A year? How's a startup loan going to need you to see my profits for a year? And they're like, well, it's, you know, most startup loans aren't really startup loans. They, you, you, they're kind of more or less kind of capital loans of sorts. They need to see what type of revenue you're turning for a year, especially when you're talking that much money. So it's not it's not like you can just go walk into a bank and get a ton of money at least not an unsecured loan in the business just to uh start up and start up and run it. So <clears throat> so that being said, um you know, you're, you're probably going to be working with a relatively limited budget whenever you first start up. And when you first start up, a lot of unexpected expenses are going to come up and expansions going to occur and you're going to need to buy more equipment. You, you, that money is going to drain pretty fast. So what do you do when things are kind of off the ground and running? In order to, in, 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 even if your business is making its own, is paying for itself at this point and all of the money the money is coming in, doesn't mean you shouldn't have a capital fund. Doesn't mean you should be like, oh, man, this year we surplused. We made in surplus after paying my myself salary, paying all my employees, paying all the business expenses. We have a surplus of, you know, $10,000. Well, that doesn't mean you get a $10,000 bonus that year. You, know, you get to go out and have a wonderful Christmas, you know. <laughs> What that means is you should probably take that ten thousand dollars and keep it in a capital fund. So how do you how do you factor in you know how do you grow and maintain a capital fund? Um, my best advice is to take a percentage of your gross profits and place that into your capital fund every week or every month, however you want to do it, but probably no more than every month. Kind of depends on your business because sometimes depending upon how your business works, it may not be advantageous to do it weekly. Kind of depends on how your budgeting and finance um, schedules kind of work out. Because if you did it, you know, in, in my case, I, I process all, all accounts receivable, accounts payable and payroll and all that stuff on a weekly basis. So my budget gets basically reset every single week. So weekly is whenever I take money and place it into a capital fund. Now, if you run a business, especially in like the retail world um, where you have inventory that's being resupplied on like a monthly basis, you may, you may not be factoring in your profits and doing your budgeting except for, you know, you know, you might do some budgeting on the weekly, but you may be basically resetting your budget clock to zero on the month. So, what I'd say is a percentage of your gross profits should go into a capital fund. Just count that as an expense. Immediately say, and and, you know, say, okay, 10% of what I sell is an expense, basically. That's going into capital. I don't count that as profits. And then at the end of the year, maybe you could say, okay, this is a surplus. I have money for bonuses. So, It would be better to put more money in capital than you need, than to not put enough in it, and all of a sudden find yourself in a situation where you need it when you have an unexpected expense occur. Say you run a services business where you make house calls of some kind. Say you're a plumber, and um, yeah, you've got uh, you know you've got a great running truck right now, but a what happens? Belts. What's that?
1: but we wear belts. Oh yes, yeah,
0: in our plumbing business, we're we're wearing belts. And in fact, you know what? We wear overalls.
1: <laughs> Don't want anybody seeing our little bit of a plumber's crack.
0: Yeah, we're the we're uh, if we start a plumbing company, it'll be called Crackless Plumbers. <coughs> the Crackless Plumbers. Um, uh, are we talking about crack
1: or are we talking about
0: <laughs> both? It works for it works on many levels. Um we will We will never have plumbers crack. We will never do crack. (laughs) And. um, At least not on the job. Yeah. We don't even let Jimmy crack corn. Okay. (laughs) We're the crackless plumbers.
1: (laughs) So. Random tangent there. Yeah.
0: So if. If you know you, you have a service business, you have service trucks, well you could have an unexpected unexpected mechanical expense, or you could need to purchase an all new truck altogether because it was a great running truck, but the engine blew up for you know you know unexpectedly so it's wise to have it's wise to have more money than you need because yes, okay, you could probably go finance another truck, but um would it be would it but then now your your monthly operating cost has now gone up because you've got a payment or if you have the money sitting in a capital account to go purchase another truck cash then you don't have to worry about financing it and you're not having to pay interest on it and you're not having to it's just you know easier to go about it that way um uh, so i would say build your capital fund up by placing a x amount of percentage and this is going to vary you have to you have to work out your calculations to maintain your first year is going to be all projections R- remember because your first year you don't really know what to expect profit wise and what are you projecting on me <laughs> and you're not gonna know what you need capital wise so it's gonna be guesswork Um, you're gonna do your best to you know predict scenarios and come up with ideas but it'd be better to have more money set aside now your next year is gonna be a little bit easier to calculate because granted the numbers may change because your profitability has gone up or your business has expanded Um, but you can you can extrapolate upon your first year's profits and expenses and figure out okay so if my business is going to gross $200,000 in, you know, in a year and I need to have $20,000 saved up in this capital account, well, I'm going to take 20, per, I'm going to take 10%. That's how sure. the numbers work. Um, and then you find, and then, you know, the next year you're looking, you you look like you've expanded, you've grown, you know, exponentially. Now, granted, if you haven't had to spend much of that capital money, you have that in reserve already. But just continue to put it and you may even need to you may even be able to adjust it. So, you know, say the next year you've already saved twenty thousand dollars. You have twenty thousand dollars in that bank account, in that capital account, and you haven't needed to really touch it much. Um, you know, you had to draw some out here and there. You had a couple unexpected expenses, but you built that back up, you know, because you're putting 10% back in and you close that second year out and you've got, you've got $40,000 in there now. So this next year you're thinking, well, I don't really need $40,000 in that capital account because I'm not planning on any major, I'm not planning on expansion. I'm not planning on this, you know, any big projects this year, this year, we're going to kind of you know, work on maintaining and growing, um, in a, in a, you know, in a, in a slower way or something. Well, now you maybe not have to put 10% that year you put in 5% sure. and the excess profits can just be, you know, used as bonuses or employee pay raises or something, something along those lines. Business does well. So everyone, you know, gets a, gets some sort of a benefit. <clears throat> so the best way to grow and maintain that capital is to uh, is to put a percentage in and don't, don't base it off of profits, um, not net profits. Uh, base it off of gross profits. Can, basically consider it an expense already because it is basically you're setting aside money for future expenses. So it's an expense. Now, granted, there is, um, if you're running an LLC uh, that's taxed as a pass-through entity, um, like a sole proprietorship and not an S-corp, uh, actually even if it is an S Corp, you don't have capital gains, if you will. Um, it's not like you can say, okay, the company, you know, you're not getting <clears throat> you're not necessarily getting taxed because at the end of the year if you're at LLC or an S Corp, all profits are distributed are technically distributed and taxed to whatever individuals are owners of the company. So you can't just say oh these are capital gains. These weren't dold, these weren't spent in dividends. These are just, you know, this is this money hasn't been sent to anyone as income. So you're you're going to get you're going to get taxed on it one way or another. Um, but it is it is reasonable to set it aside to count it as an expense because it's going to be necessary at some point. And it's real hard to do especially whenever you're first kind of starting out and you're working with limited budgets and you're thinking do i really need to put this money aside you do and it's wise to do so mm-hmm. <clears throat> um so one last quick tidbit of a topic before we close this out and it is does involve capital and that is um capital loans so uh what is a capital loan you may be asking yourself it is a loan typically it's basically an unsecured alone unsecured loan and most lenders that are loaning on it are basing your are basing your payments interest rate and amount that they will loan you off of your business income not necessarily off of credit Um, they're looking at they're looking at income so what what type of cash flow do you have coming in and going Some companies will uh, like they like to see uh, bank statements um, depend upon who the lender is. In some cases you may a lot of cases you can acquire capital loan through your card processor and they already know what type of money you process because they get to see it on a daily basis. Their money the money is going through them (coughs) and and those are a lot of times one of the best ways to get a capital loan is through your card processor if they offer decent rates um, the benefit of a capital loan, if you, you know, let's say, um, now, honestly, in my opinion, the best business model is a debt-free cash operated model. But in some cases, whenever you're looking to expand or, you know, grow the business in some cases that, um, uh, that may not be. Some place, in some possible. ways you can't
1: do it. Yeah,
0: you may you may be a very very profitable company, but you just don't have, or even you may have fifty grand laying around, but you don't want to drain all of your capital expenses on this fifty thousand dollar expansion project, right? Right. Yeah. So you want to get a loan, and if you want to get this loan, one of the one of the good ways, if you're working through your card processor is that the flexibility of a capital loan that's that's uh, through like a card processor is that you don't have like a set monthly payment they just take a percentage of your card sales um and that's um and it's and it in some cases it's not an absurd interest rate considering it's an insecure or insecure it's an unsecured loan they don't have any you know Um, they don't have, they're not, they're not securing it with a lien on a, you know, on a building or on a car or something like that. Sure. Um, Granted, secured loans are going to get you a uh, much better interest rate, Um, but the flexibility of basically having it pay, you know, on its own. And then they do typically have like minimum payment requirements where they'll require you to pay X amount of dollars every three months. But for instance, Square, the card processor, they're not going to offer you more money than, because they already know what you're, what you've got coming in for cash flow. And so they project the payment based off of the payment and percentage based off of what you're already doing. So nine times out of 10, you'll meet those minimum payment requirements. And the
1: the reason that is, is they, if they, they took more than, um, what would be kind of, in a sense, their fair share. Yeah. Um, what's going to happen is your business goes under and you can't pay them. Exactly. so, yeah in a sense, it still is a secured loan because they're secure in the fact that you're still gonna be making yeah. money so and work. the
0: so the thing is about these cap a lot of capital loans, especially through car processors, they're not gonna be available to you as a business starting up right away they're gonna they're typically not gonna make this offer to you until you've been in operation at least six months typically mostly most of the time at least a year like uh, <clears throat> so there's a company called cabbage, yeah um uh,
1: that one if and I've looked into that one, if you um get a a business loan through them, you are now you like in in my case, witness security does not have a heartbeat, so that heartbeat or that that business can't secure the loan for cabbage yeah um but Keith Schultz and Tyler Schultz. Have a heartbeat so they can secure the loan. Where with the one you're talking about, Square, the business is what secures that yeah. loan for Square. <laughs> yeah. Where Cabbage. Your social security is on the line. Yes, not they run the credit. Security.
0: Yes, so that's the that that's one of the benefits, I guess, of if you have if you are using like Square and you have a you know a card processor that offers it because a lot of times these companies aren't requiring a they're not requiring looking into your credit or credit check and even if you have good credit the benefit of that is that it doesn't affect your credit you don't have an inquiry into said credit but also Um, there may be a possibility that you're starting out a business because you're looking for more financial security and you don't have the greatest credit in the world. Um, it's helpful. It's helpful to have a company like that. That's not going to have these absurd high credit requirements. Um, but my general advice is do not take more, do not take, do not borrow more money than too much more money than you need. Do not borrow so much money that it's really cutting into your profitability especially if your profit margins are relatively thin And and in general i don't think i think when you're starting out a company it is probably really in your best interest to try and minimize if if not eliminate the need to borrow money at all because it's nice to be able to operate debt free <clears throat> oh yeah. And now if you are in business for a few years and you're looking at an expansion and want to borrow money, um now you have numbers to work with. You know how much money you can afford to spend on a loan, right? Mm-hmm. When you first start out, you don't know how much money you can afford to spend. You don't really know what your profit margins are. You cuz things may be great for the first 3 months, but then they may slow down and you because the time of year changes. You know, it's hard to it's hard to create decent projections of how much your profits are going to be and what your how your business does well seasonally until you've spent an entire calendar year in business so I'm not saying a year I'm talking a calendar year so let's say um, you know let's say you start your business in um, you know you start your business in June and by next June uh, well, by next June, you will have. Uh, well, I guess it does make it doesn't make any difference. But um, what I'm saying is, once you've gone through all of the seasons. So let's say you start your business in in uh, February. Well, by December, you've got a pretty good idea. It's not you haven't quite been in for a year, but you've got sure. a pretty good idea seasonally. There's only one slight, small, tiny season that you haven't experienced yet, and that's New Year's. Um, you know, or if you start in April and you've made it to you, you know, you've made it to December. You've got a pretty good idea of how you know how the summertime affects your business, how the holidays affect your business. You just you may not know what the first of the year does, but you've got a pretty good idea. But once you've made it through an entire year, it's easier to project. Um, but that being said, realistically, you're not going to really know trends, seasonal trends, until you've done at least two years of business. Sure. And even at that, could be coincidence. So twice is a coincidence, three times is a trend, or it's a uh, it's a pattern. Like Christmas comes around <clears throat>
1: every year. You, you, yeah. know,
0: you can bet on that one. Yes, but how how is it going to affect your business? Is, yeah,
1: exactly. So like with witness, um, coming into the uh, Christmas season usually slows down because yep most people don't really want to spend their christmas dollars on a security system
0: and that's true for that's true for a lot of service industries um and
1: your your business slows down
0: too mine does too because retail
1: people want to spend uh Money on no, getting their oil job not,
0: done. Yeah, the only basically in the month of December, I can almost 100 percent count on the fact that all of the jobs that I do are not they're they're necessary because the car is broken. Like <laughs> it's not gonna be it's not gonna be oh my car is making a little bit of noise type jobs or no they, they're gonna push it off those, as much yes, as they can. If it can, whenever it comes to car repairs in December, if it can be pushed off, it will get pushed off. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, I mean I guarantee uh, the way your customer 's mindset is i'm going to see if I can push it till after New year's because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd rather spend the one hundred and fifty two hundred three hundred dollars yeah. on a new something or another,
0: yeah, I you know, want to put a new flat screen in you know yeah um, you, now nowadays with Black Friday shopping being such a big deal um you can there's a there's a section of people that have already done their christmas shopping by the time that mid december rolls around oh yeah and they may have recovered from black friday financially so you get a little bit of that but generally speaking you know christmas uh, budgets and and even if they've already bought christmas gifts a lot of people are traveling mm-hmm. so they've got traveling budgets that they're they're not like fixing their car and getting a home security system relatively low on their list. Two of, totally different things. Yeah. They're, they're low on their list of, of what they want to get accomplished. Yeah. And then around the first of the year, it starts picking back up again. Now, if you're a retail and especially depend, depend upon the type of pr- uh, product you sell, um, you may see a different trend. You may see a huge boom in sales in December versus our slow time in December
1: what <clears throat> um, well, would one of those um let's see retail that would boom would probably be like uh
0: my artisan soap shop because yeah. i offer christmas gift baskets that yeah. have the uh you know nice handcrafted soaps um uh, we offer dish soaps now liquid dish soaps and and we have uh, uh bath bombs and you know things of that nature so those those handcrafted gift baskets we really put a marketing push on that we sell a lot at the christmas time <laughs> um i haven't come up with a name for this artisan soap shop just yet but that would be an example of you know december time um you see we're going to see an increase in sales Um, And then when it comes to retail, you're going to see you're going to see drops in sales. You're going to see basically a huge increase Black Friday through the end of, you know, into Christmas. Then you're going to see a pretty decent dip around New Year's, depending on what product you sell in retail. Um, and then it'll, because it, people are financially recovering, so they're only purchasing necessary items on, as far as the retail side goes, they're not usually buying superfluous things. And um, yeah, so they're, they're going to, that was a big word. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually relatively amazed. I was able to say that this <laughs> early in the morning. <laughs> so, superfluous. Yeah. So they're, they're going to be purchasing necessities. So if you sell necessities, you'll, you've got a pretty stable, you know, market, you know, you're, you're not, you're not seeing too many ups and downs, but if you're selling handcrafted soaps, like, um, like our artisan soap company is here, um, they're, yeah, yes, they're somewhat necessary, you want soap, but maybe it's not the only soap that they ever use in their entire house, so they're, they may save a few bucks, instead of buying a five dollar bar of soap, they're going to, you know, they've already bought their gift baskets and stuff they're gonna they're gonna you know wait until money picks back up a little bit sure. So you really don't know your trends until you've been in business for at least three of those seasons whatever the season may be and if you've been in business for three whole years and three whole calendar years and seen all of the seasons three times you can extrapolate from there and have a pretty good idea because if three different years christmas time does the exact same thing you can probably expect that it's going to be pretty similar now you're not going to see the exact same numbers but boy is it going to be close
1: now also what you can also bet on is the fact that whenever you decide you know what i'm not going to uh work as hard this season you can bet on it you'll still be getting calls because you're now on vacation. Yeah. (laughs) Now The other two years or three years ahead of that, um, you might've said, the phone didn't even ring. Yeah. So I can, I can go ahead and take a cruise this year. Yeah. And and that's the thing. You can
0: go ahead. There's always anomalies and that's the thing. There's always going to be anomalies and you're never going to be able to 100% predict the future. You can have a pretty good idea, but you're not going to be able to predict it. As a, and, and don't feel bad
1: to take a vacation on those uh, those slow time frames. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, it's going to happen just mm-hmm. as when we were in the woods this past year, or this past uh, yeah. hunting week, uh, Keith's phone did not stop ringing.
0: Oh, my phone was blowing up too. Yeah. I just have a receptionist that answers all of the calls. And so.
1: <laughs> so just keep in mind that you're you're going to be coming back. So so don't really worry about it. Don't freak out that, oh man, now I'm missing business. I mean, if you want to li- live your life that way, you sure can, but it's just going to put stress on things that well, you don't and, need to Well, and, and that's this,
0: as a business owner, really the only way to try and plan or schedule a vacation, the closest thing that you have to knowing whenever you can is looking at trends and seeing when the business is slowed down. And, you know, a lot of people are... Sometimes people will look at it and be like, man, my business slows down at this time every year. What am I going to do to correct that? And that's not necessarily a bad mindset, but on the other hand, you can look at it one way and say, look, it slows down. This gives us more time to, this gives us time to take breaks. And in the service industries, it just so happens to coincide pretty comfortably with the holidays. So that's a good time to have vacations, you know, it's kind of scheduled anyways, uh, with the exception of a few service industries, um, you can actually expect a relative uh, decent up t- uptick in business if you are in the house cleaning services. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and maybe even like carpet cleaning. And dec- People are preparing their homes for the holidays, and they just don't have time. And so, you know, it's a busy time of year, and so they're going to hire – where when otherwise they may not necessarily hire maids um, or house cleaners or whatever they want to call themselves – they may hire them for the holidays to, you know, do a deep clean of their house to prepare for the in-laws coming in from out of state or something like that. So the, the, the point of, you know, knowing your trends is to be able to know how to update, um, your, how to, how to, how to predict what you need in your capital, um, in, in your, in growing your capital. And it's a wise idea to, um, to To always be putting that money and just count on that money. It's gonna not being there. It goes into capital, and we don't just pull money out of capital for you know any old reason because you want a new boat. Um, Not a great idea to you know just take money out from capital so that you can go get that you know that new um, that new ski boat or something like that. It's a good idea to have that set aside. Don't count that as don't don't really count that as profit. Per se um, mm-hmm. whenever it comes to your budgeting, count that as a emergency fund for real emergencies, and that is how like that's that's how that's how you can hedge your bets to ensure that your company is going to survive for a long time is to be prepared for the unexpected because you can basically expect that there will be unexpected things it's kind of counterintuitive it but it's <laughs> It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Something's going to come up. Costs are going to come up out of nowhere. And, um, and it's, it's smart to have, to have a, a, a good capital fund. So with that note, um, I think we've, we haven't actually exhausted that topic. We can talk more about it. But that is a good, decent rundown. On uh, my experience with dealing with capital from the startup sense, maintaining, and predicting for the future, um, or doing your best to try and predict the future, and um, and to and to kind of kind of hedge those bets for your company in order to keep it keep it afloat and keep on running. For no, years he's not. To
1: come. He's not saying he's a prophet or anything. He's no. Just, just saying, I, predict it.
0: Yeah. Possible. Yeah. Just do, you know, you as close can, as possible. Yeah, you can. You can get pretty. You can get pretty close to having an idea of what is going to happen um, from experience, draw from past experiences, and know that it's uh, always a wise idea to have. And that number may vary. You know, depend upon your business. You know, your business may need, uh, may only need to have at any given point in time ten thousand dollars in the capital account. Some businesses as the
1: business grows. <sighs> as the business grows you you're going to your you're you're going to have to capital, adjust those numbers yeah that number is going to constantly but move the nice
0: thing about growth if if you're using the percentage based um, capital um, system that I was talking about you know i'm going to set 10% of gross profits into capital as the business grows so too does gross profits and so 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 then also does your capital fund sure um and, and and uh and you may need to tweak those numbers a little bit you may say okay well 10% isn't quite cutting it anymore we need to put 15% in and that may be that may be what is the case um and you can figure that number out by saying okay well what did we need to pull out of capital what did, what money did we have to take out of capital this year okay, we, we drew out, we had to take, you know, $5,000 out, um, of our $10,000 capital fund. We replaced it because we were putting 10% in, but, um, this next year, um, you know, we may need to, we may need to up that percentage if we want to maintain a higher number. So, um, I guess until, until next time, we'll probably, uh, probably end this year probably you've got to get heading out soon anyways so um thank you all for tuning in listening to the making jobs podcast